0: So, very, very exciting. I apologize for those who have been trying to follow us on YouTube. I got us kicked off again for two weeks. So, I apologize. Uh, I, about a month ago, I got us kicked off for a week. So, we got our second strike, which the left foot of fellowship, boom, uh, off the um, tube, then third strike, you know, it goes on. But we're very excited. You have to tune in to rumble. How many of you are just going to rumble? Gotta bring the rumble. Rumble is also updating things to become more competitive, to be able to have some of the features that we wanted on YouTube. So in the future, we'll probably be using our YouTube channel just to advertise, to go hear controversial stuff that they want to censor and shut us down. But uh, Bryce Eddy from Covered Six and myself, we just had a lot of fun talking about the uh, Delta variant terrorism of Los Angeles. And boom, it was off. Now, I I have my own website from my own ministry. And I put it up there. And uh, that was my first strike there. They kicked me off for a week. And then so we kind of in one-two punch this week. I'm off the, off the air, and uh, you must be doing something right, right, if they're, they're censoring us. Hey, if you need a Bible, you didn't come tonight with a Bible, and you need one, just raise your hand. Linda in Israel will get you one, and we're going to stand in a few moments to read a passage of Scripture. If you brought your own Bible, you want to be making your way to Romans chapter 8 for our message, The Confident Christian. And I want to share with you seven precepts, seven concepts that will be building blocks to produce a confidence in you. And there's lots of places people lean for confidence. Just playing in sports through the years, you know, if you can go into a game confident, that means, hey, we've practiced hard. We're in unity. Our team's just really crushing it. And there's a confidence about your own performance going into performing this game. But the confidence of a Christian is built within our relationship with God. He is our confidence. He is our strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and we are safe. But we find in these really troubling times that people are timid. They're afraid. They they lack confidence. And I want you to know this passage of scripture, we're reading through Anchored in the Word, which is a two-year Bible reading. You can read from Genesis to Revelation. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've just never read through the Bible. You can pick up one of the reading plans that are out there on the information counter or you can pick it up, uh, look at it on our website. And the the reality is once, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When I hear God's word and I spend time in God's word, something happens. I'm infused with courage. I'm infused with confidence. I'm infused with faith because uh, the Lord is with me. And as we look at these things, Paul the Apostle is leading us through some of the most epic chapters in all of the New Testament. Chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's like these, it's the Alps of this incredibly high theology with practical application for our own hearts and our own lives. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start reading at verse 28. So if you'd stand up with me, we're going to read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for our message, The competent Christian. We know that all things work to, together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God Is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Father, we just ask now that you would open our hearts and open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word, that you would strengthen us, Lord, in the inside with confidence in you, in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thought is that God is working for you. In this classic verse, if you don't have this verse underlined, circled, a box around it, highlighted, magnified, on your fridge, you've got to know this verse. Every now and then when I'm going through troublesome times, I just open my Bible to make sure it's still there. The reality is to know that all things, and what does he tell us? He says, we are no. The confident Christian doesn't say, I hope so. I hope this is working for me. I think so. It might sometime. It, it may. I don't, I, I don't know. Right? Very lacking confidence. No, Paul says the confident Christian knows this. And what he knows is that God is working on our behalf. As it says, we know that all things work together. Not some things, not a few things, not the good things, and not the bad things. All things work together for good to those who love God. So, what's the criteria for you to know that God's working for you to have confidence? You love God. If you don't love God, this promise ain't for you, sister. (laughs) Brother, it's not for you. Oftentimes, you'll hear people apply these things to unbelievers. This is a promise for a child of God that loves God. This is not a promise. To the ungodly person that wants nothing to do with God, and will not have this confidence to know this, for him he's in the helter skelter of just life and the topsy turviness of happenstance. But for us, we know that all things work together for those, for for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And this is the hardest thing, right? When you're in the midst of hard things and you're like, "How's this working together for good?" We have all kinds of bad things happen in our life, do we not? Doesn't matter who you are, and, and the older you get, all the calamities that can come at your life. But God can take all of those things and He mixes it into this incredible plan that He has to produce something good. Voila, right? You take all this bad stuff and you put it together, and because God's love's mixed in and God's care's mixed in, it's just like, boom, this beautiful thing. Now, I don't think, you know, you see a picture of a potter. And the clay in the wheel. There are three dynamics that go on in this artistry. Right? You have the potter. He's, he, when he puts that clay on the wheel, he knows in his mind what he's going to make. He has a plan. Now, the clay doesn't know that right? The clay. We, we, we're called jars of clay. We are made of dust. And this is just a fact as far as the minerals are concerned. The same minerals that are in the earth make up the human body. The elements that scientists have discovered. You're about, uh, you know, mainly water, but you're these same elements. And, and we are this lump of clay that without the master's touch in your life working for you to create something beautiful. So the master potter has a plan, the clay is you and I. We are inert. We we don't we don't really know what's going on. We're just on the wheel. What's your life? I don't know what's going on. Just going in circles. The wheel is the circumstances of your life. You're just going around and around. This is the circumstances of your life. God is working in his people through the circumstances of your life and he's going to create something beautiful. And we know that he's working together for good. The heartache sickness, death, loss, promotions, blessing, everything thrown in to this lump of clay on the wheel so that something beautiful can be made. Now, the problem is, you see, sometimes our only job in this process, as we discovered in Jeremiah 18 some time ago, is that the Clay can be marred in the hands of the potter, meaning that you get stiff. You get like, I don't like what you're doing, God. I'm sure you never have that experience. You ever get torqued off of God? (laughs) The psalmist says, I poured out my complaint to the Lord. That's why I love the psalms. It's so raw. It's so emotional, they're just pouring their heart and their life out to the Lord, depending on who it is. But just like the artist in front of his canvas, there's a blank canvas, he's got his palette full of colors and he's gonna paint the backdrop first and it might be dark and moody and broody and you may not like that, but he's gonna bring the bright colors that's gonna bring this incredible thing. I liken it to a chef who is making an incredible recipe and if you took any one of those elements, it would not be much of a meal. You know, when I grew up and my mom would make cookies or make a cake or whatever, uh, I loved to lick the bowl when it was over. Any of you have that experience? You just love to lick the bowl at the end. Just got to have it. And I would just sit there because I was the youngest of four and you did not get to lick the bowl unless you were right there. And But when I was younger, I was a little impatient and mom wouldn't have all the ingredients in and I'm trying to dip my fingers like... (laughs) got it right after the baking powder, the baking soda, some of the the salt and the different things that you wouldn't just have a teaspoon of salt. You wouldn't just have a, you know, a a cup of Crisco. (laughs) Whatever the ingredients, but when it's all mixed together and that's the thing that you and I obsess over the specific ingredients, but we don't know how God's mixing it together in the bowl to produce something beautiful. And you're only focused on one dimension. And you don't know that God's mixing some things together to make it incredibly beautiful. In this process, sometimes our life feels like a box of puzzle pieces that are dumped out and you don't know how they come together. The only thing I can do in this part of the process is know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know this, that God's working on my behalf because I love God and God has called me and if you love God, And God's called you, you can have this confidence too. Every child of God can. And that confidence is that he's going to work all these things together for good. Those who love him and those who are called the called according to his purpose. But we don't want to resist and begin to shake our fist at God, get hard like the clay that is marred in his hands. In Isaiah 29, 16, the Lord uses this illustration to basically rebuke the people because they're charging the potter with wrong. It says, surely you have things turned around, the Lord says to them. You guys have turned everything around. Shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me. Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding and God doesn't know what he's doing in my life. He most certainly knows what he's doing in your life. And if you want to live your life on your own and just hand over your life to him and, and uh, or I should say, push God out of your life and do it your, your way, very much like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Right, you want to do it your way? Good luck with that. Because you have no confidence that the God of the universe is with you. Working things together for good. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud. The, the most, the incredible, powerful God of the universe puts himself in opposition to the person that arrogantly raises their heart and their mind and says, God doesn't know what he's doing. I can't serve a God like that. I want nothing to do with that. The Lord resists you. He opposes you. i got enough problems in my life without the God of the universe opposing me. How about you? Right? You can't even get along with your neighbor and you're going to pick a fight with God? <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah 648 says, this should be really the answer. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter, and all and we are the work of your hand. That's the heart of a surrendered lump of clay that says, God, just do your work in me and through me because this is what God wants to do as it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. It means you're his poem, His work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul says in Philippians, he says, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. You already have salvation through faith in Jesus. But work it out. That means you're cooperating with God's process. He's working in you to will. He gives you a desire to do something and to do his good pleasure. That's what produces an incredible work of art. When God is working in your life and you have this confidence that God is working for you. And then you just cooperate with the process. You just have to help out. And do your part as he leads and guides and directs and prompts you. I was so blessed last week. I don't know how many of you were here for uh, Nick uh, Vujicic. But here he is when he comes in. Now, I've seen a video of Nick. But to see him in person and to see Nick in his wheelchair when he comes in with no no arms, no legs. And we're having this conversation. And he's so animated. And his little body's just moving around. And he's leaning over the rail. And he's just having, I mean, he, I didn't know somebody could move that much in their wheelchair. It was like a little stage. And then we put him up on the table up here, right? And I don't know about you. I was on the front row. And every time he came right to the edge of the table, my heart went, oh, I was, but he does it all the time, right? Here's a guy that God is the potter and he is the clay and he has this incredible confidence that God is working for him. He has no arms. He has no legs. And yet he is an incredible voice. Millions of people have heard about the love of Jesus through this man's life. That's what happens when you're filled with the confidence to know, hey, all this stuff's working together for good. This is now Nick's platform, I mean, not now, has been Nick's platform. God using somebody like Nick. God using somebody like you. What an inspiration. The second building block of producing confidence in your soul, in your relationship with God, is God knows you. Now, this is the most frightening thing to people. We have this concept of insecurity. Are you insecure? Every human being is insecure about something in some way, shape, or form. Right? You're insecure. And the insecurity is you really don't want people to know who you really are. Dating is one of the biggest acting games. People should win Academy Awards in dating. Right? Because they're putting this persona forth of who they are. Right? And, and social media does that. I mean, they, they describe themselves and they're actually, you know, they describe themselves as six inches taller than they are. They, they have all of this stuff that they put in there because their own insecurities. And yet God knows you and me intimately. He knows your thought right now. He knows your thought five seconds ago. He sees you afar off. He knows everything about you. But instead of terrifying us, it says, for whom he foreknew, he did predestine. In God's foreknowledge, do you know what foreknowledge is? Obviously to know something way in advance. But the Bible says that God has foreknowledge. God is not somebody with a lot of time on his hands. God dwells outside of the time space continuum. And so he sees the past, the present, and the future all at once. Now, this is a concept that's a little mind-blowing and in a different dimension than we are. But he can see, he saw my life way before I was born. And he sees my life in heaven way out in front of me. God sees, he foreknows you you're not some surprise to God when you showed up. Now, you might have been a surprise to your parents like I was. They weren't excited that I showed up the way I did. My dad had had a, a medical procedure to stop that kind of thing from happening, right? It's like, I've had enough kids, don't need no more. Doc, take care of it. And then a month later, two months later, <laughs> my mom's, Larry, I'm pregnant again. And uh, once he finally calmed down from cussing out the doctor in his uh, license from a Cracker Jack's box, you know, they had to surrender. But it's a surprise to us. Everything is a surprise. Anything that can happen in, just in a moment before me is a surprise. But God knows us. He foreknows. This is what the Lord said of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He says, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew who you were. Now, just a side note, if you come from a Mormon background or an LDS background, they take this verse to support their concept of the preexistence. The preexistence to Mormons, the LDS faith, uh, believe that there's heavenly father and heavenly mother and they're procreating, they're having sex in heaven, they're producing all these spirit babies and Mormons are encouraged to have lots of children. Why do Mormons have so many children? Because they're encouraged to have so many children so that those spirit babies have a place to come and that they can go through their journey of uh, eternal progression. Kind of a different uh, take on things that the Bible does not teach. But they're very creative with a lot of their teaching. But the reality is, God knew you. Now, it's, it's mind-blowing me that God can know absolutely everything about me, every dark thought, everything that I've ever done, every selfish inclination, and yet he still chose me. He still chose you. Because our real fear oftentimes, and this is what happens In dating relationships or even sometimes in marriage, as you lower your defenses, you lower your defenses, you let them see as much as you feel safe, and as soon as they react badly to anything that you begin to reveal to them, then you go, okay, that's as far as I can go with them. That's as much of my own soul as I can reveal to them because they can't handle who I really am at a deeper level. But God knows all that, and he he knows you and he loves you. If there's anything that produces confidence in your relationship with God, is God knows absolutely everything about me and he still declares that he loves me. He's working for me on my behalf to work everything together and he's doing this incredible work in my life the third building block of confidence is God chose you. Not only did he foreknow you so he knew who you were, but he chose you, it says in verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He predestined, he chose in advance. Now, obviously, if I'm God and I know that I have foreknowledge, I know everything in the future, it's nothing to pick the person that's going to respond to my call of salvation, right? Right? Like If I have foreknowledge and I'm going to play the Powerball and it's up to 80 million dollars, am I going to choose the wrong number when I go in to order a card? No. I know the number. If I know who's going to win the Super Bowl next year, am I going to pick a loser in a bet? No. I have foreknowledge. God has foreknowledge. Now, this passage really flips some people out. Because they get all caught up in theology rather than just enjoying the comfort. God knew me in advance and he chose me. Isn't that cool? If you love Jesus, do you realize God chose you in advance? As a matter of fact, your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the earth. Before he even created the earth because God has incredible foreknowledge. Your name is in the book. He knew somewhere along the line you were going to come to faith in Christ and you were going to walk with God. That's mind blowing. It's, It's truly mind blowing. And so he chose me. Now, I used to grow up uh, in a small town where all summer there was nothing to do when I was the uh, tween and early teenager. You know, that 12 to 14 years of age where right before you're driving. So all summer there was two things to do. If I wasn't working for some farmer, I was playing basketball in the park. And then after it got hot, then we'd go to the swimming pool. We'd swim for a while and we'd come back and play basketball. Now, every day we went to the park to play basketball. There's always like, you know, 10, 15, 20 guys there. And you knew, you knew everybody what what their game was. Those who were, could really shoot, those who could move the fast break, those, you know, whatever they could do. And you always had to, the two best players would pick teams. And you, (laughs) there was always the competition for the first pick, right? Because you want the best guy on your team. But they had the foreknowledge of who was the best guy on the, because we played up together all the time. So this understanding of foreknowledge and choice, it just, it just all flows together. It's very much like marriage. You know, I know Tammy, I get to know her, we grow up together. I see her the first time, she's 12 years old. And uh, she was as tall as she is now, which was shocking because I was like 5'2", and she was 5'7". And I'm a year and a half older than her. And, and you, you get to know somebody through all of the years. So we grew up together. But then it comes time not just to know her, but to choose her. Out of the six billion people on the planet 30 years ago, to choose one person based on that knowledge. And it has to be this I could choose her, but she had to choose back, right? (laughs) It's always sad when you see somebody in their own love infatuation and the other person's not reciprocating. Happens in the church a lot. Oh, Pastor Rick, the Lord just struck my heart. That girl's the girl for me. We're gonna spend the rest of our lives together. And I said, have you told her that yet? He said, no, but I will. I see him in a week. He's like, she's not reciprocating the thought. (laughs) obviously then God's not in that right it's kind of a one-sided thing but it's not once the choice is made the Lord calls us in this process it's a supernatural confluence of a supernatural God and sovereign human beings in the sense that they have the ability to yield their will or to resist the work of the Holy Spirit And in this process, something supernatural happens to produce a confidence in us that God knew us and God has chosen us. Look what Paul tells the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Before the foundation of the the world, God chose you. That's just... Crazy, isn't it? God's eternal dimension—I mean—blows my mind, and it blows my mind. Then, in a very personal way, in a macro way of who He is, but then he, that He loves me, and He chose me, and He called me. Because as He chose me, then He calls, as it says. Oh, before I move on from being predestined or chosen, this this reality. That why did he predestine us? So that we would be conformed into the image of his son. That we would be conformed into the image of his son. God foreknew us. He predestined us or he chosen us in advance so that we would become like his son Jesus, that we would begin to love like Jesus, that we would love truth like Jesus, that we would begin to be kind to people, that our life would change, that we would begin to reflect Jesus so much so that somebody might look at us and actually charge us from being a follower of Jesus because of our life and our character. There's a relative that uh, they are a young Christian. They don't... They haven't grown very much. And they often will say something like this I was in this really difficult relational thing, and I thought to myself, she's not, she, she's not mature enough yet. She doesn't even know where the Bible verses are or those different things. She just says to herself, I just thought to myself, what would Tammy do right now? My wife. <laughs> Because she knows my wife. And she's like, what would Tammy do? And Tammy's life in Jesus has inspired her enough that she can see enough of Jesus in Tammy that she's like, what would she do? She isn't even to the place like, what would Jesus do? Because you haven't read enough of God's word to even know Jesus' nature and character yet. And that's what God is conforming us into. Moving on to the fourth building block of confidence in the child of God's life is that he called you in verse 30 whomever whom he predestined these he also called and whom he called as we'll see he justifies but he calls us Right now, you you could be being called by God. Hey, do you know God loves you? Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose from the dead, and he wants to have a relationship with you. All you need to do is recognize what he's done for you, put your faith in him, repent, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and surrender your life to him. It's very simple. That's the call. But it happens in many groups or crowds through time and uh, (laughs) for the last 2,000 years as Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called but few are chosen. When the God has chosen and the call comes together, these two things—the confluence of God knowing when your heart's tender, when you're going to surrender to Him—and the, the confluence of those two things, God and man, God and women meet, and they come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. But that incredible invitation should always be there. Hey, man, you're invited. You're invited to spend eternity with us in heaven, but you're more, uh, more importantly, right now, you can enjoy eternal life in your life as long as you're here. You see, this is the crazy thing, isn't it? This world, for the child of God, this is the worst it's ever gonna get, you guys. This is as close to hell as you're ever gonna experience. And I, I grant you, in California, it's a lot closer to hell than in Idaho. But with your tyrannical leaders, but realize this, that no matter what adversity, no matter what struggles, what, whatever we have here, this is temporary. We're going to have 70 or 80 years here, and then we're going to spend eternity with God in glory. But if you reject the call of God, you flip the Lord off, you give him the burden, say, I want nothing to do with you, and you reject God, this life here is the best it's ever going to be for you. This is the best life will ever be for you. You're like, wait a minute. It's not very good right now. That's right. This is as good as it's going to get for you. Because eternally, you'll be eternally separated from God. Because when the call came, you resisted God's spirit. You, re- you, didn't, you know, I don't want that. I don't need that. And I want to resist that. And God is a perfect gentleman. He, he honors that. So oftentimes, when kids grow up in church... Parents will be wanting to push their kids, you know, to an altar call or push them towards baptism and, and they're just, they're really concerned about their, their eternal where, well, welfare. But the reality is, is that all people need to come on their own terms to surrender to God. Young, old, doesn't matter, male, female, wherever you're at when God calls you. I love the invitation to come in Revelation 22:17. 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come. And you can't, this is a beautiful thing because people will think, well, if I get to heaven and all you people are right, say you're here tonight and you don't want anything to do with the Lord, the call goes out, you reject the call, you're, you know, dead in the next six months, you wanted nothing to do with God, and you can't go to heaven and say, I didn't know because you just were invited. You were just invited. And whatever knowledge you have, that's the accountability that God holds you to. With much knowledge comes much accountability. And this call that goes forward, God chose us. God called us. God justified us. The fifth thought in verse 30. These he also justified. Justified is a technical term which means you are declared to be righteous. So oftentimes somebody will go to court and they're charged with a crime and then they're acquitted. Being acquitted means you're just not guilty of that crime. All right, there's not enough evidence to convict you of that crime. But you're not declared justified as if you've never sinned. And that's a simple Sunday school way to break down this word justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Through faith in God, think of this, God foreknew me, God chose me, God called me, and then God declared, Rick, you stand before me righteous as if you've never sinned because of my perfect sacrifice for my, of my son Jesus on the cross. All your sins were nailed to the cross. All my sins have been punished. It's not like I'm getting just a free pass. No, all my sins were put upon Jesus. The sins of the world were nailed to the cross with Jesus. Everything, every bad thing you've ever thought in the past, ever struggled with, ever done in your life, past, present, and future, all was nailed to the cross on your behalf. Through the substitute Jesus. And because he conquered sin and death and rose from the dead. And is now, gives to us that righteousness. I'm totally, this is mind blowing. How can I have confidence here tonight? Because I know I'm a fallen sinful man. I'm not perfect. I live life just like you do. Just normal life. But God declares of every single one of us that loves Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus. It's just as if you'd never sinned in your entire life. And the thing that oftentimes robs us of of confidence is guilt and shame from failure. Guilt and shame from failure. And the Lord says, All that's nailed to the cross, you stand before me 100% righteous, 100% blameless, just as if Jesus Christ Himself is that He's standing between us and the Father to give us that perfect standing. Isn't that mind blowing? It's not based on me. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But Jesus is. And he paid that price. And it's so crazy to me as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is the greatest exchange that's ever happened in the universe. He who hath made him sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God said, I'm going to make Jesus sin. He's going to be the full, complete, receive the judgment of sin. And he's going to give us all his righteousness. Can I put it this way? Jesus is a better savior than you are a sinner. Now, I know some of you are really good sinners. But Jesus is even a better savior than you are a sinner. Because Jesus paid a price, paid a debt that he did not owe. Because we had a debt we couldn't pay, right? I'm I'm over my head in my debt. So he justified me. He justified you. All these things, step by step, my head that's hanging down, my, my feeble knees, my hands that are hanging down, discouraged, and in a place with no confidence, I begin to rise as I feel inside of me the truth of these things. Knowing God is working all these things in my life together for good. Knowing that he's going to, um, he not only knows me, but he's chosen me, and he's called me, and he's justified me, and then he puts the cherry on top, if you will. The very last thought in verse 30 when it says, these he also glorified. God has glorified you. He says this in the past tense that God looks at you just like he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world to know you were saved. He looks at you now in your finished complete state as glorified. He looks at you as righteous in the sight of God and glorified. Now we know there's another glory. These bodies are gonna be exchanged for glorious bodies. But the reality is God looks at us as if we've already arrived. It's a mind-blowing thing. You know when on a racetrack, when you're there and you're at the, the starting line? It's as if the Christian life You know, they're going to run all the way around, they're going to hit that tape at the finish line. But the Christian actually starts when we put our faith in Jesus because Jesus has ran the race, and he crossed the finish line, he's at the finish line, and he gives to us all of his righteousness. It's as if the Christian just starts at the finish line. We win. I haven't even ran. I win. And starting at the finish line fills you with confidence. You see, I'm not working for my salvation I'm believing Jesus for my salvation. And this is something that's so important, that in this process, we are designed by the potter to be who he wants us to be. The greatest joy to me is to have God fashion my life in such a way as this pitcher that you see up here that can be filled up with him, with water, whatever it is, and be poured out to be refreshing to other people, that they might enjoy the goodness of God. You see, the Bible calls us vessels. As a matter of fact, it calls us uh, jars of clay even. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm just a guy that's made of clay like you are, but God puts his treasure inside of us. And that treasure we can pour out to love and bless other people. That others might be filled with faith, have a relationship with God, and have a newfound confidence about their life. But that only happens if you cooperate with the process of God, the cooperation. And in that cooperation, check it out, I can either be this, <laughs> this vessel to be filled up over and over and poured out for God's glory, or I can just be a lump of clay that is hard and resistant, and I want nothing to do with God. What kind of condition is your heart in here tonight? And all the things that you're going through, you're going through hardships, you're going through difficulties, all these things are shaping you, they're all producing in you things that God wants to produce. He's building in you character, he's building in you qualities. The seventh thing that fills you with an incredible confidence is that God is with you. For it says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is with me in every situation I go into. He says, he'll never leave me or forsake me. It is this understanding that God is with you that will change your life in a daily way. You wake up in the morning, the Lord's with you. You go to sleep at night, He's with you. Wherever you go, in, into work, into school, into relationships, into temptation, into any kind of struggle, God is with you. And so, knowing that God is with us, especially when we're afraid and we're overwhelmed with circumstances in life, and I think there's a, there's a lot of fear in this season, this last 18 months. How many people have just thought the fear of being in California, the fear of California, the that's why 180,000 people have fled California. And they've went to Texas, and they've went to Idaho, and they've went to Tennessee, and they've went to Florida. They've went to places where they have more freedom and more liberty because here it just seems so crazy. We just did a live stream where we basically edited a um, 20-minute, it was four days ago that Governor Newsom gave a 20-minute speech about the new pressure to vaccinate Americans, I mean uh, Californians. So he gave the statistics, all now, first of all, all California workers, I think there's 256,000 or 276,000 state workers, it's mandatory for all of them to be vaccinated, and if they're not vaccinated, then they have to be tested each week. And uh, he was just going down the line of all the things. And this is what he said. 75% of Californians have been vaccinated. He said, but you, the 25% that haven't. Now, we're not going to have a show of hands. He he gives no room for somebody like me. I'm one of 100 million people that got COVID, recovered from COVID, have this amazing thing that God created called antibodies, right? And uh, that lasts longer, right? So since I have antibodies that actually last longer, they're saying the effects of the, the, the vaccine wears off and you're going to have to have more boosting. Uh, that's what they're discovering in uh, Israel, that they might have to have a third booster, all this stuff. Anyway, but he said, this is what he likened those people to. Those people, I guess that's me people. He said the 25% of uh, your, your choice now long, no longer matters. He said, because you're endangering the rest of us. And he said, you are the equivalent of a drunk driver going down the road in danger of killing other people. You're like, what? What planet are you on? If I did have COVID and I gave you a cold or the flu, it's the same as being a drunk driver and killing your whole family in a car wreck? It, it's the, Everything that I want to say right now, I can't say any of it. So, <laughs> You just heard my heart. <laughs> but the reality is, why? Because it feels terrifying when a a tyrannical leader looks at us and tells us equates us to that. Because this is what you have to do if you want to control your populace. You have to demonize and vilify the people that are uh, dissenting and speaking out. You have to vilify them. You have to demonize them. They're the evil, nefarious, anti-vax people. <laughs> well, the comfort that I keep falling back into in God's arms is, hey God, if you're for me, who can be against me? Right? I'm just gonna trust you. I could have stayed my safe little uh, personal little Idaho, where I'm from, right? Just been hunting in the fall, you know, do whatever I do. But the reality is, is that God wants to use us to be a voice of reason, to be a voice of faith, to be a voice that is confident in God about his goodness and what he can do. Tells us down in verse 37 of this chapter as we close. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're going to conquer more than conquerors. You know what? How how are you more than a conqueror? A conqueror is somebody that wins, but how can you be more than a conqueror? You see, you're a conqueror before you even start the battle. We already win. We've read the end of the book, just like the, you know, the teach, teacher told you in school. The answers are always at the back of the book. <laughs> we learn that we win. So he says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be infused with confidence because of your relationship with God. We don't have to go through life timid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Doesn't mean we're not gonna have battles. Doesn't mean there's not gonna be difficulty and hardship and and struggles and conflicts because we really have to realize that the gloves are being taken off at this season of life for us to stand bold and to stand strong and to stand fearlessly in our faith in Christ Jesus and the liberty that our forefathers gave us here in the United States of America. Amen. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's pray together, and we're going to have the worship team come up. And I want you to know as... I'm praying as the worship team uh, comes up that we're consistently gonna have a prayer team up uh, up here in the front so you can come up during this closing song or at the end of the service, whatever you need. Maybe you have some things like we were talking about, all things working together for good for those who love God. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with to affirm that in your heart because you got some real adversity going on. And so let's stand together. We'll pray and sing. And if you need prayer, the prayer team will be, be down here in front. Father, we thank you for the confidence we have in you, not in ourselves, but in you, that you're working all this stuff together for good, Lord, in each one of our hearts. Lord, you know us intimately, and you love us. Lord, you've chosen us, you've called us, you've justified us, you've glorified us, and you've promised to be with us. So, Lord, we pray that you would write these things on our hearts. In the days to come, those dark times when our back's against the wall Lord, as we go through the fire Lord, may we lean on you and the confidence that if you be for us, who can be against us. Lord, for the brothers and sisters here that are just going through some real heartache and struggle, I just pray for your comfort and for your ministry to their hearts, Lord that you would strengthen them in their walk with you in Jesus' name Amen. Hey not next weekend Uh, But the following one, if um, you want to get baptized, you've never been baptized, I just want to encourage you, bring a change of clothes, and for that weekend, we're just going to have an incredible time, Saturday night and three Sunday morning services, that you can follow the Lord in baptism. Let's worship the Lord at this closing song. And if you need prayer, come on down.